0: If you want a better life, you can't just sit there and hope for it and dream about it and think it's going to happen. I was talking to a friend of mine recently. I'm 41 years old. And I said, Jason, if we don't do what we're talking about, before you you realize it, we're going to be 60 years old and we're going to wish. That we had done that. I talk about it. If I had a only syndrome, if I had only done that, if I had only made that decision, and if I had only got up off out of bed that one day and went to the gym, maybe I'd live a little bit longer because I, you know, I burned more calories and my heart rate went up. So that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to the one fundamental thing of actually doing it.
1: Talk, just talk, because that's what we do here, friends. Malcolm Out Loud, talk. Welcome to the show. So, what if you were 5% smarter, 5% faster? What if you made 5% more sales? What if you were 5% healthier? I know I could use that. What if you saved 5% more? Well, author Michael Alden says it's the small modifications in our lives that make the big differences. That 5% more effort can get you what you want in life. You know, sign me up for some of that, friends. Well, no man ever achieved worthwhile success who did not, at one time or another, find himself with at least one foot hanging well over the brink of failure. Now, I always talk about the brink of greatness to you all. You know that. That's my beat. But the brink of failure, well, that's something Napoleon Hill says. Well, we're going to talk about being on the brink today with Michael Alden. He's the author and CEO of Blue Vase Marketing. They're an Inc. 5,000 company three years in a row. And also, he's the author of the best seller, Ask More, Get More. And I read that book some time ago. In fact, I had uh, Mike on the show, uh, well, it's been a couple of years, I think, or maybe more. Uh, He's got another book just coming out now, 5% More. It's a publisher uh, by John Wiley & Sons. We all know John Wiley & Sons does some great work. This is a must-read by Amazon, I'm hearing. And I'll tell you what, I've already read the book because I got a a pre-copy of it. And uh, it's very good. In fact, it is really well written. So congratulations on that, Mike.
0: Well, thank you so much, Malcolm. Thanks for having me on. And I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I'm really excited about the book. And, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, as far as the writing of it, you know, and who would have thought a kid like me growing up in the project surrounded by crime, drugs and violence that i would actually be an author. And so to to, to to have a book that's being published by one of the largest publishers in the world for me is just it's somewhat surreal. And, and I'm honored and humbled that, that they were able to, to get behind the book like they have. And I'm also honored and humbled to be on your program.
1: Well, listen, you talk about a dream without a plan is just a dream. What percentage of people actually have their plans written down? Do you have any ideas? Has anyone ever looked at that to see you know who really has a plan? Who writes it down anymore? Do you know?
0: You know, I don't know the the, the numbers out there. I don't know that there's really any, any research that's you know that gives the exact numbers of how many people write them out. But I do talk about dreaming, and I tell people, look, dreaming is for sleeping. And it sounds it's funny. I, I spoke to to a high school and uh, and you know, all these kids, these at risk kids, and I said that to them. I said, look, I want you to stop dreaming. And like the teachers, their eyes lit up. Like, what is this guy saying to them? And I said, look, you can have big plans you can have big goals but a dream is not a reality let's think about the reality that you're in if you really want to be you know that everyone always says the president of the United States if you really want to do that well let's take a look at what that looks like and what you really need to do in order to get there and let's put that plan in place and work towards that so you want to dream do that in your sleep but if you want to grow and be successful in your both personal and your professional life then let's actually put down what I like to call 5% micro goals on a daily basis and grow from there
1: you know that uh, I think that's got to be the name of your next book brother is stop dreaming You believe with plans and goals for real you believe it's important to write them down
0: yeah absolutely i think i think it's important to write them down in this digital age that we're in you know if the pen uh, isn't necessarily what we're using anymore. We're using our, our phones or what have you, but that's okay because it, it still registers in your brain the same way. You know, when you, when you when you write something down, it's a little bit more than just thinking about it. And you can go back and you you can look at it, you can modify it, uh, and again, it's a, it's a reminder for you of like, okay, well, I, I wrote this down. This is the plan, and this is what I what I need to do versus just thinking about it or dreaming about it.
1: Let me let me ask you this and throw you this here. What if somebody is uh, they just don't write these kinds of things down? but they 're very strong in their beliefs uh, you know beyond dreaming i mean these their plans are written in their mind. is that even possible mike can that can that really work for anybody?
0: You know, I mean, I, I it, you know, we're all human, right? And we're all different. And so, you know, I was just, I was just at an event, and I was with the, the uh, this gentleman. He is the, he has a 197 IQ. And so, for someone like him, I don't think he really needs to write much down. So, you know, it all depends on really who you are. But what I found, the successful people that I've met in my life, uh, and the successful people that I've studied, they are writing things down. You know, when they read a book like mine, you know, they're, they're, they're not only reading it, but they're, they're marking it up. They're making notes in, in the margins and fact, I wanted to do this uh, for, for uh, 5% more, but just the way, the way the publishing world works, we couldn't do that. So writing things down, it does something. It triggers things in your brain that allows you to – again, it registers a little bit more. So thinking about it is one thing. Write it down and, and, again, when you write it down, you're able to, again, assess it, look at it, go back to it, modify it and think about me you know well here's my plan i wrote this plan down yesterday here we are today and i didn't do it why didn't i do it and let's even give ourselves a little dialogue about why we didn't do it because if you you know look we're we're inundated with all these different things and all this different all this technology in, in, in the world we live in we're just constant you know we talk about studies there's a study that recently it was recently published and it said that we have the attention span of a goldfish
1: You know, you also speak about changing 5% of your habits, and you talk about that pretty extensively in Chapter 17. And you make me think, I think you'll make a lot of people think, actually, because it, it, it put me on pause a little bit. And I started going through in my mind, you actually were driving me a little crazy, Mike, when I was reading through Chapter 17, and I thought... All right, so what are the habits now? What are my habits, and how do I change 5% of them? And which ones do I need to change? Talk to me about changing 5% of the habits and and how that works.
0: Yeah, you know, so... The book itself. When when I when I decided to write the book, there were a couple things that happened. But one of the things after my first book, Ask More, Get More. A lot of people came to me and they said, "Mike, I like your book. And I really like your book, and, and I and I want more out of life. And I've read all these other uh, books, and I've I've even you know gone to seminars and webinars and things like this. And I'm still and I'm still not getting ahead. I'm still not I'm still not climbing. And I've read these books to tell you that you need to be ten times better than everybody else in order to be successful. In other words, you have to ten up your actions all the time. You hear that all the time. or you have to take massive and immediate action in order to be successful or you need to be 100% on 100% of the time. And Malcolm, that stuff does not work for human beings. I mean, the science agrees with me. Physiologically, our brains, the way we are wired, we cannot do that. We will burn out, and that's why the diet industry is so successful, because they're always getting people back in, because people are always failing. So, But what we can do and how we can develop habits, now, there's all different research out there. It says anywhere between 21 days and 90 days as far as Well, how how a habit becomes a non-volitional thing. So you wake up in the morning and it's no longer even a habit. It's just something that you do. So when you take those small progressive steps, it becomes a lot easier day in and day out versus – I'll give you an example. Okay, uh, About uh, a year ago, I got on the scale and I was 272 pounds. I, I, I go to the gym. I've always gone to the gym. I, I've been an athlete my whole life. I couldn't believe how heavy I was and I knew that I needed to lose weight and I said to myself, well, I could either just start eating boiled chicken and broccoli – Uh, for a week and then fall off the wagon and forget about it, or I could start to slowly change my habits over time. And I've done that over time and now I'm down to about, you know, 235 pounds or so and I need to get probably down to more like 215. But it's taken a little bit of time, and it's it, it just becomes easier. That's how we work.
1: Well, that's the problem I think you've just uh, pointed out about the whole diet industry. It's uh, the whole it's a whole revolution, and that it's these small incremental steps within your diet that are so key. Because really, the whole diet fad. Mike, it's really about a lifestyle. It's a, it, it, I've always said this all my life, it's about a lifestyle. If you can get the lifestyle done right, I mean, you've got it made, but these people who go on these you know, crazy fasting diets and everything else, I mean, it's all insane, and you see it everywhere, and it's a wonder it's a multi-billion dollar business, and they're all reeking it in, because everybody you know, thinks they're gonna lose uh, massive weight and, and, and look great. So I like the way you reference change 5% of your habits, and I think I really, you know what I, I really liked about the book is you took this really one concept mike and you and you drove it home i mean you really drove it home well there's a lot of great talent in the world and that's why we have that right up top of america out loud let the silent voices be heard and we're actually doing that back at America Out Loud Talk Radio. You'll find a whole great lineup of shows there. Check us out, AmericaOutloud.com. We podcast all the shows there. You'll find this show right there and many others. Or you'll find us also streaming now. We are on our own talk radio network. You'll find us on places like TuneIn, Aha Radio, Radio God FM, iTunes Radio, and a whole lot more. Well, listen, I want to talk to you about being organized in your life. I know it's important for all of us. I want to introduce you to Closets by Design. You know, this is just a great company. It's a national firm. They're on the West Coast, but you'll find them, a lot of their retail centers throughout the United States. Whether it's a closet, garage, home office, laundry, pantries, just about everything these folks have. Check them out closetsbydesign.com again stay tuned we got a great show here today we are speaking with mike alden he's an author and uh a new book his first book was ask more get more and now today we're talking about i mean this is is great uh, conversation five percent more and think about that folks in your life And you know it's trying to bring you good information and uh well like i quoted napoleon hill up front how do you get to the brink of failure and get to the brink of greatness which is my language uh and that's what we're talking about here today with mike uh and in chapter two, brother, you reference uh, Brian about selling cars. I want to talk to you about that a moment because I found it interesting. Brian was working until closing anyways, you go in the book to say, so why not just put the effort in? Why not do just a little bit more? And I got thinking about this quite a bit. Isn't that the challenge that many people struggle with, Mike, is that they sort of lead an average life they get by, and uh, they don't really push for that little bit more. So I think my guess is you've hit on something very special here.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny. I, I love Brian and I hadn't talked to him in years. And I sent him the story, and he was really humbled. And you know, uh, and he, you know, I sold cars right out of college. And I, to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't want to sell cars because I looked down upon that profession. And I tell you, I am. I thank God today that exactly. I took that job because I learned more in that job than probably any job I've ever had. And, and you know, yeah, Brian, the story is really interesting. You know, Brian was a, one of the great, a great salesperson there, and and I watched him sell car after car after car one day and it was towards the end of the day, and I think he sold five cars that particular day. And it was getting to be almost nine o'clock at night, and there was a customer that came on the lot. And he jumped from his desk and he went out to go talk to the customer. I said, "Brian, I said, what are you doing, man? You already sold five cars today." And he looked at me and he said, "Well, what's your point?" He says, "Mike, I, every day I come to work, I tell myself I'm going to sell one car, and then every time I once I make that sale, I'm going to sell another one. And you should do the same thing." And it and it and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know we can rest on our successes and a lot of people do that or 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 they can be Content with their life and say, you know what, I'm okay with just being able to pay my bills, you know, week in and week out and barely make it. And if that's how you want to live your life, then I, you know, I gotta be honest. I feel sorry for people like that. And it's because probably they haven't seen what true success is like. And by the way, when we talk about success, and you know, success is a real relative term. And I've tried to define it a bunch of different ways. I've seen people define, it and this is how I define it. And I, I, I gotta say, I think it's probably the best definition of success. And I define success as this. It's whatever you want it to be, okay. So it, my definition of success, your definition of success, and someone else in in some that are listening right now, their definition of, of success is different. But in order to be successful in whatever it is you're trying to do, there is no magic pill. There's no secret formula, and you know, quite frankly, nothing has changed since the beginning of time. We referenced Napoleon Hill. Nothing has changed since the beginning of time of success. And what I know works is is a little bit of effort over time works and this is what not only what i've done in my entire life but i've learned this from other people like you again you mentioned napoleon hill i I mean i've read all of his stuff i've read some of this some of the stuff that most people can't even get their hands on And, and you know over time when you when you work towards something over time you will get what you want
1: you know remind me a bit after here i want to tell you mike about uncle bernie uh, I want to tell you about Uncle Bernie. He's just come to my mind so many times in the last few minutes, as you were telling the story about Brian and the cars and uh, and and you know w- what you're talking about here. I, I I want to bring it forward and say to you that, playing on what you just said, Mike, the one thing that's always constant is change. You say this in the book, and I totally believe that. And a lot of people get very complacent. I think complacency is a real problem out there. But you've got to be able to change. And I think a lot of the fat cats, what happens is they get to a part of their life, as you say, they get settled in. And then when they get settled in, uh, in fact, a lot of companies go through this, Mike. A lot of the big companies, they get to a point where they sort of get content. I call it fat and happy stage. And then at that fat and happy stage, uh, the competitors quickly catch up and go buy them. You see, you can never be content. You always have to change. Even when you're on top and when you're on the bottom or when you're wherever you're at on the, I, life has got to be a constant change. I really, really, Really believe that, Mike?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I we were obviously talking. Uh, you know, we, we do agree with each other, uh, and, and you know, in fact, that the cover of my book it says "Making Small Changes," and I was a little reluctant to even say that because so many people do in fact
1: they hate uh, change they hate
0: change they they change. I know. They, 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 they don't want to change but, but the, one of the things that they don't realize is that they're always changing anyway whether they like it or not and this world is changing so yeah when you look at company I saw a great documentary about um, Tower Records I don't think I talk about this in the book and and it was called All Things Must Pass and I started this little theater in my hometown this old school theater it was really cool and then, and it opened up and, and there was, the screen was black and I might screw up the dates but it said in 19... 19- I think it was, it said in 1999, Tower Records generated $5 billion in gross sales in 1999. In 2003, they were bankrupt and out of business and the reason why is because they didn't change and they and they and they decided that they were going to stay in, in their ways and they didn't evolve and you look at so many companies like that I mean blockbuster you know is is a, is a classic example of that or they just they the world was changing and they decided they
1: didn't to. change with it you're a hundred million percent right brother uh, blockbuster it's funny you mentioned that Mike that's one of the references I always use that company as a as a prime example actually there's a whole host of companies I use as an example I can pull out of my hat and talk about any time, to tell you, well, why don't you hear these brands anymore? I mean, they were on top of the world at one point, and yet they're not anymore. You know, you referenced the Olympics in your book, which uh, we just, you know, celebrated the uh, Olympics in Rio, Rio de Janeiro, and, uh, you know, the Olympics are a perfect example of what you're talking about, and, of course, you referenced Michael Phelps, who I uh, certainly am a a fan of, and and, uh, Usain Bolt, uh, wow, what an Olympics he had. Let's stop a minute and talk about that. You referenced that pretty pretty good in Chapter 6, but, you know, the Olympics are a, a really good example of uh, how does somebody become a Michael Phelps or a Usain Bolt versus all the Olympians who play the games but never really get gold status at all? What's What's the difference for those folks, Mike? Well, you know, there's always going to be the genetic
0: phenomenons like Michael Phelps. I mean, again, if you look at his body structure, I mean, he's just he was just made to swim. I mean, that's just what God created. So you're always going to have the genetic phenomenons. You're always going to have the outliers. But when you look at me, see, I talk a lot about in the book about the different levels that you're playing at the different levels that you're trying to climb. And people say, well, you know, Michael Phelps or Usain Bolt, you know, man, they work so much harder than everybody else. That's why they're they're faster. That's why that they win, they win the gold medals. But when you actually look at the levels that they're Playing at another, in other words, the other people that they're competing against, and you look at their regimen and how they're training and what they're doing, and then you look at the guys that actually make it to the podium, like Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt. There really isn't a huge difference between the amount of work that they're doing and the amount of work that the others are doing. It's a small fraction, a small percentage. In fact, I talk about in the book of a six-time Iron Man, six-time Hawaiian Hawaiian Iron Man champion. And I I, I actually had to change my book because I read it in the book, Good to Great. My book had already been done. And and one interesting thing that this gentleman did was, his name is Jim Collins. He, uh, there's one section, it's titled, Rinse, the cottage cheese and then one of the things that he did when you look at his regimen against all these other guys, he rinsed his cottage cheese before he ate it because he believed that that little bit of fat that could have been on the cottage cheese is no longer on the cottage cheese and that gave him that little edge. Life is all about that. Those little Edges. We're all trying to get that edge, and that's exactly what happened. Now, you look at the spread too between winning and losing. It's 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 fractions of a second. It's it's sometimes it's fraction of a percentage. If a, if an Olympian could get a five percent bump in their speed, that's the difference between good to great.
1: Yeah, you're you're so right. And you know, I I think one of the things I'll take away from this talk is to rinse the cottage cheese in the future. Maybe that'll help, huh? <laughs> One of my golden rules in life is to always give more than I take. Always give more than I expect, always give more than I take. You talk about this. It's a big one for me, this one is. Uh, And I just, uh, it's a principle of mine, Mike. I look at the world as, you know, I don't know, there are givers and takers. And there are a lot of takers out there, uh, and you can see them a mile away. And I like the way you talk about this, always give more than expected, but always give more than you even take. I guess they're sort of uh, interchangeable a little bit, huh?
0: I've learned this from other successful people, and and that's just, successful people, that's what they do. You know what, when you, you know, I help people not because I have to but because I want to. And when you help someone with without with with zero expectations of anything in return, and not only does it feel good, but things do actually come back to you. You know, people talk about karma or whether or not that's a real thing. It's a real thing. So, you know, I love to help people. I love to give Things and not necessarily talking about dollars and cents, but I love just giving even that little extra effort, and you do that without expectation of, of maybe even additional compensation. I talk a little bit about that as far as maybe you're in, you know you're working at a job, you know, and and, and you know your boss says you Hey, um, could you do this for me?" And you say to yourself, "Well, my uh, my job description isn't that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that." So you could that's one route you could go, or you could say, "All right, you know what? I will do that, and don't expect." additional compensation if you live your life like that that additional compensation that we all eventually do need to pay our bills will come to you it's just it's it's, it's almost like a natural law i mean we talk about napoleon hill and the law of success it's it's it is like a law it comes back to you but you have to do it with all sincerity
1: sure i spent a lot of sleepless nights on what we were going to call this show a lot of fancy names like any big time talk radio show. You want to have a great name. So I looked at a lot of them. And I come up with a great name for you. We're gonna call it Talk. Just Talk. Welcome to Malcolm Out Loud Talk. Thanks for listening. You know I know a lot of people who have real problems and challenges with time management. How do you get better at time management?
0: Yeah, you know, you always hear the, the the activity versus accomplishment thing and that's one of the questions I like to ask people too. How do you become more efficient? And you know, in this day and age that we live in There are so many things that we can use to our advantage, like our devices, that help us with time management. One of the things I talk about, though, is is when we, you know, people, a lot of people say, well, when you talk about 5%, you know, how do I apply it? Give me a very, very specific thing on how to apply it. And the 5% more book is more of a 5% more mentality, a 5% more ideology. So, as far as being more efficient on getting things done, you have to say to yourself, what activity am I doing? What am I trying to accomplish? And let's focus on the accomplishment versus the activity. So a lot of people, they're busy, 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 but they never get anything done. That's because they don't focus on really what the valuable final product is or what what, what they're trying to accomplish. So what do you do? You step back, you look at what you're trying to accomplish, and you focus on that accomplishment and not necessarily the busy work. Let's get it done. And let's focus on getting it done. Again, this is simple stuff. We talked about this earlier. I'm a simple guy. My first book was pretty simple. The 5% more, What I, for me, again, I'm not trying to pitch it. But for me, what I really love about it is because I am a simple guy. And I know that really, truly anybody, when they read this, they're going to get it. And here's the other thing, though, Malcolm. is. You can buy my book. It can sit on your dining room table, your coffee table, or what have you. And the cover itself might even inspire you. But I learned this a couple years ago. I was in, a, I was in a, uh, a yoga class. And at the end of the yoga class, if you've ever gone to a yoga class, a lot of them they meditate at the end for about five minutes, which is kind of my favorite part. And the, the, the instructor said something that was so profound. She said, simple things work, but only if you do them. Simple things work, but only if you do them. My book, Five Percent More, is so simple, so easy that it really does apply to virtually every aspect of your life. But you have to do it.
1: Well, as I said, you you really took that that idea uh, and you drove it home. And I mentioned that up front because I really I like the way you stayed on task through the book, and you didn't, which I really enjoyed because you didn't throw a lot of curveballs. You really drove the point home. I believe that these incremental changes you're speaking about Mike I think can make an extraordinary difference in one's life. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know and again when even the title of the title of the book we says you know we say making small changes to achieve extraordinary results. And one of the things too and I didn't really actually touch too much of on this in the book but it doesn't have to be extraordinary results. Remember we talked about the definition definition of success. It can be whatever you want it to be. If you want just a little bit more in life, and by the way, and for those people who think that they don't want more, then they're probably lying to themselves, or they're probably so beaten down because they haven't really tried anything. But we all want more out of life. You know, my stepfather, he's, he's retired, and 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 he was sitting. He was telling me, you know, he's a hardworking classic. He's a mechanic, and his hands, he's all calloused or whatever. And he's, you know, he's fifty something years old, and he was sitting at his table, and he said to me, Mike, you know. And he doesn't really read and he says, Mike, I, I want to tell you something. First of all, he called me and to told me he was proud of me and it was, a, it was a great moment. But he said, I was sitting on my kitchen table this morning after looking at some of the things that you, that you had written. And I said to myself, I can get better. I can do more. And I said, yeah, of course you can. And he goes, but I never thought about that. I never really said to myself, I can, I can do more. I can, I can get more. I can be more. And that's what we all want in life. And that's why I get so excited about this because we all want more. We all want more for our families. We all want more for our kids. And you know, you, you know, I talk a lot about even kids in the book. And and, and I'm just, you know, it's it doesn't have to be extraordinary. It can be just a little bit more. And then again, we compound on that, and then it eventually could become extraordinary.
1: Although to some people uh, quite frankly a little bit more is extraordinary so let's be clear and a little bit more in the olympics you just pointed out could be extraordinary for you as well so i think a little bit more and extraordinary are cousins i think they're closely related mike
0: yeah you know what I, I have to agree with you on that i'm smiling as you said that i'm like man that, that makes that makes a lot of sense
1: i want to tell you about uncle bernie When I was in my 20s, I had moved to the southeast from the northeast. And so, you know, your weather changed, things are nice. But in the meantime, in moving everything, as a young man with a wife and young, young children, I lost everything in the process. So I was down and out, totally had nothing. I lost, my car was repossessed, everything was taken from me, okay, period. So I really needed to make money. Well, you know, back to what you talked about with selling cars, my uncle Bernie sold check writers, and he was a star salesman with selling che- I mean, he made fabulous money, and this was way back yonder, <laughs> and he, he he just he lived a great life, and he sold lots of check writers. I didn't want to be a check writer seller. that didn't interest me really, Mike. but he said, "You know, now you need the money, come on." Well, I went up there and I trained with him for a week in the Philadelphia area. I then went up to Boston to meet the big boss of the company at this check writer company, Steve. And Steve's no longer here today, but I'll tell you, with Steve, uh, I remember Uncle Bernie introducing me to Steve, and, and Steve, uh, you know, he he was, uh, he was dealt with all these, most of the salesmen were much, much older. I was like a little nerdy kid. I mean, what did I have to, to show for anything, right? I mean, come on. And so right. S- Steve looked down at me, you know, and you reference that in the book, don't do that. You don't reference down at somebody. He kind of looked down at me. He didn't give me the time of day. And I remember Uncle Bernie being real proud and introducing me to Steve, and Steve just looked and kind of blew me off. And I said, Oh, whatever, man. I had no idea. I had bigger problems than Steve. So anyways, I trained for the week in Philadelphia. I then was on my own. Uncle Bernie gives me six check writers to give me a big head. Now you made about back then was this we're talking big money. Now, every check writer, you made about about 200 $250, like add it up quick. And you know, you just sell a bunch of those you make some money, right? Right, And that was a lot of money back then. We're talking quite a few years back now. I don't want to say how many, but it's been a few. And i got to tell you, so he gave me six check checkwriters. I put them in the trunk. I went out that morning, and I was in a little town. Do you know the town of Tucket, Rhode Island? Sure, of course. Well, that's well that's I was the Red, there. That's the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, the Tucket Red Sox. I was right there in Portucket, and I sold a company. My first sale that morning was the New England Linen Supply Company. I went up and I sold this to a lady named Jane and I remember making the sale and I, and, and I came out and I, oh, I felt real good and she said, come back just before noon and I'll have your check for you. I got to get the, uh, the big man to sign it. And I said, oh, okay, cool. cool. And I, I go and I come back and she said, oh, he, he, the, the deal fell apart. It, it, it fell through, Mike, and we didn't get the sale. And I, I, I left. Anyways, I left the business with the, my. Let me say my tail between my legs. I felt, you know, it was snowing out. I had, I had no winter clothes. I had just a jacket, a suit jacket on, you know, a suit jacket because I'm in sales, sure. right? And I didn't have any winter clothes. And it's snowing out. And I'm, I'm, I'm in my father-in-law's Ford Fairmont with. And you know, if you've ever closed the trunk of a Ford Fairmont, Mike, they're like made out of aluminum foil. So it's windy out. The snow's blowing. I get outside. I open up the trunk. I put the check writer in. I I put the keys down in the trunk. The wind blows the trunk closed. The keys are in the trunk. I'm sitting out there freezing. And I'll never forget that moment of life, Mike. I look up in the building and Jane's looking down at me. And she can see me outside. and, And I'm just shaking my head. And she can't believe I just locked my keys in the car. Long story short, I call my father-in-law. He drives over many, many towns over to give me a second set of keys. I open up things. thing. I feel humiliated at this point. It's just after lunchtime. I go up to the donut shop. I get a cup of coffee. I sit there. And I said, this sucks. I don't want nothing to do with this. This really sucks. This is not what I want to do with my life, Mike. I don't want to sell check writers. I don't want to sell them in the snow. I don't want to sell them to people like Jane. I don't want to bother and I don't want to lock the keys in the trunk. This really sucks. Well, I pulled myself up, my friend, and I, I somehow that afternoon, I went out. I sold two check writers that day. I sold three the next day. Uncle Bernie then says to me, well, let's get up to Boston and get your money. You need the money to send back home. I said, no, no, no. You talk about 5% more, Mike? 5% more, brother? Huh? Well, I then said, no. He said, Malcolm, this is great. You sold those checkwriters in two days. Some guys would take two weeks to sell that. I said, well, give me some more checkwriters. 10, 11 more checkwriters. Whatever he had, he gave me. I sold those in the next few days. I sold 26 checkwriters in nine days. Well, I never went up to Boston till I sold all of those. He kept saying, no, I wanted more. I said, no, 5% more, 5% more. 5- Do I get your concept? Man, Michael Alden, did you hit a nerve with me? <laughs> you're fired up. Uh, man, and did I get Uncle Bernie? I got to tell you, I love Uncle Bernie. He's not here anymore, but I-, I just idolized the man. And what he did for me as a young man and having confidence in me. But I'll tell you what, I got 5% more, all right. I'll tell you what, Michael Alden, you're on to something. 5% more became 10%, became became 20%, and I've got to tell you what, it was a grand slam. I made the most sales in that company's history. Let me tell you what happened when I went to Boston next time, and and Uncle Bernie brought me in to meet Steve. What do you think happened, Mike? I think Steve
0: probably bowed down to you.
1: He kissed my ass. <laughs> he came over and he was all over me like I was A uh, young, my friend. He knew who Malcolm was at that moment, believe me. Anyway, Anyways, that's my uncle Bernie's story, huh? I love it. It's a great. It's a great story. You know, the other thing,
0: as you're telling that story, I was thinking. You know, a lot of people don't don't recognize the fact that you were given an opportunity. To, to make money first of all, but you were given an opportunity to learn a new trade, to learn about sales and to grow. And that opportunity, which seemed like a very, very difficult time at the moment, truly changed your life. And that and there are so many moments like that for people throughout the world and they fail to recognize that that opportunity could be wrapped up in what I like to call a responsibility or something new for them. But what I like to do in my life, I always try to to learn something or try and get something out of whatever I'm doing. And not in a negative way, but I'm always trying to get a little bit better. And that Bernie story for you, for, as I'm listening to you, i got the got the chills because that's exactly what you did. And well, I
1: read your successful book. That's what people do. I read your book, brother, and I said, Michael is going to flip over the Uncle Bernie story. I said, I haven't told the story in years. A long, long, long time. I said, i got to tell him the Uncle I Bernie story. I knew you'd love it, buddy. I just knew it. In fact, i you know what else I, I visualized? I said, one day, I'm going to be on a stage somewhere with Michael Alden, and he's going to be doing one of his books or something else, and he's going to have the radio guy there, and I'm going to tell my Uncle Bernie's story, and we're going to go back and forth, and that's something I said that probably will happen some far somewhere down the road. I don't know where. I don't know when. I don't know how. Let's but maybe- do it.